the second Kalendar's tale. Know, O oh my lady, that I was not born one-eyed, and mine is a strange story, and it were graven with needle graver on the eye corners, and it were a warner to whoso would be warned. I am a king, son of a king, and was brought up like a prince. I learned intoning the Quran according to the seven schools, and I read all manner of books, and held disputations on their contents with the doctors and the men of science. Moreover, I studied star roar and the fair sayings of poets, and I exercised myself in all branches of learning until I surpassed the people of my time. My skill in calligraphy exceeded that of all scribes, and my fame was bruited abroad over all climes and cities, and all the kings learned to know my name. Amongst others, the king of Hind heard of me and sent to my father to invite me to his court with offerings and presents and rarities, such as befitter royalties. So, my father fitted out six ships for me and my people, and we put to sea and sailed for the space of a full month till we made the land. Then we brought out our horses that were with us in the ships, and after loading the camels with our presents for the prince, we set forth inland. But we had marched only a little way when, behold, a dust cloud flew and grew until it walled up the horizon from view. After an hour or so, the veil lifted and discovered beneath it fifty horsemen, ravening lions to the sight in steel armor diets. We observed them straightly, and lo, they were cutters off the highway, wild as wild Arabs. When they saw that there we were only four and had with us but ten camels carrying the presents, they dashed down upon us with lances at rest. We signed to them with our fingers, as it were saying, We be messengers of the great king of Hen, so harm us not. But they answered on likewise. We are not the least dominions to obey, then they set upon us and slew some of my slaves and put the rest to flight. And I also fled, and I had gotten a wound, a grievous hurt, whilst the Arabs were taken up with the money and the presents which were with us. I went forth unknowing whither I went, having become mean as I was mighty, and I fared on until I came to the crest of a mountain where I took a shelter for a night in a cave. When day arose, I set out again, nor ceased after this fashion till I arrived at the fair city and well filled. Now, it was the season when winter was turning away with his rhyme, and to greet the world with his flowers came prime, and the young blooms were swinging, and the streams were flowed ringing, and the birds were sweetly singing, as saith the poet concerning a certain city when describing it. A place secure from every thought of fear. Safety and peace forever lord it here. Its beauty seemed to beautify its sons, and as in heaven its happy folk appear. I was glad of my arrival, for I was wearied with the way, and yellow of face for weakness and want. But my plight was pitiable, and I knew not whither to betake me. So I accosted a tailor sitting in his little shop, and saluted him. He returned my salam, and bade me kindly welcome, and wished me well, and entreated me, and gently, and asked me of the cause of my strangerhood. I told him all my past, from first to last. And he was concerned on my account, and said, no youth, disclose not thy secret to any. The king of this city is the greatest enemy thy father hath, and there is blood reached between them, and thou hast cause to fear for thy life. Then he set meat and drink before me, and I ate and drank and he with me, and we conversed freely till nightfall, when he cleared me a place in the corner of his shop, and brought me a carpet and a coverlet. I tarried with him three days, at the end of which time he said to me, Knowest thou no calling whereby to rid thy living room, my son? I am learned in the law, and a doctor of doctrine, an adept in the art and science, a mathematician, and a notable penman. Thy calling is of no account in our city. One of the sorest dumbest signs, or even writing, or ought to save money-making. Then said I, By Allah, I know nothing but what I have mentioned. Carry thy middle, and take thy hatchet in accord, and go and hew 
wound in the world for thy daily bread till Allah send thee relief and tell no one who thou art lest they slay thee. Then he bought me an axe and the rope and gave me in charge to certain woodcutters. And with these gardens I went forth into the forest where I cut fuel, wood, the whole of my day, and came back in the evening bearing my bundle on my head. I sold it for half a dime, which part of which I bought provision and laid by the rest. In such work I spent a whole year, and with this was ended, I went out one day, as was my wont, into the wilderness, and wandering away from my companions, I chanced thickly grown lowland, in which there was an abundance of wood. So I entered and I found the gnarled stump of a great tree and loosened the ground about it and shoveled away the earth. Presently, my hatchet rang upon a copper ring, so I cleared away the soil, and behold, the ring was attached to a wooden trap door. This I raised, and there appeared beneath it a staircase. I descended the steps to the bottom and came to a door, which I opened and found myself in a noble hall, strong of structure and beautifully built, where was a damsel like a pearl of great price, whose favor banished from my heart all grief and cark and care, and whose soft speech healed the soul in despair and captivated the wise and ware. Her figure measured five feet in height, her breasts were firm and upright, her cheek and very garden of delight, her color lively bright, her face gleamed like dawn through curly tresses which gloomed like night, and above the snows of her bosom glittered teeth of a pearly white, as the poet said of no one like her. Slim waisted and lovely, jetty hair and crown, a wand of willow on a sandy mound. And as saith another, Four things that meet not save they here unite, to shed my heart blood and to rape my sprite. Brilliantest forehead, tresses jetty bright, cheeks rosy red, and stature beauty dight. When I looked upon her, prostrated myself before him who had created her for the beauty and loveliness he had shaped in her, and she looked at me and said, Art thou man or genie? I am a man. Now who brought thee to this place? Would I have abided five and twenty years without even yet seeing a man in it? Quoth I, and indeed I found her words wonder, sweet, and my heart was melted to the core by them. Oh, my lady, my good fortune led me hither for the dispelling of my cock and care. Then I related to her all my mishap from first to last, and my case appeared to her exceeding grievous. So she wept and said, I will tell thee my story in my turn. I am the daughter of the king Iphitamus, lord of the islands of Abnus, who married me to my cousin, the son of my paternal uncle. But on my wedding night, an Ifrit named Jirgis bin Rajmas, first cousin that is, mother's sister, son of Iblis, the foul fiend, snatched me up and flying with me like a bird, set me down in this place, whether he conveyed all I needed of fine stuffs, raiment and jewels and furniture, and meat and drink and other else. Once in every ten days, he comes here and lies a single night with me, and then wins his way, for he took me without the consent of his family, and he had agreed with me that if I ever need him by day or by night, I have only to pass my hand over yonder two lines engraved upon the alcove, and he will appear to me before my fingers cease touching. Four days have now passed since he was here, and as there remain six days before he come again, say me, will that abide with me five days, and go hence the day before his coming? Lay thee down and take thy rest, for surely thou must be weary. I replied, yes, and yes again. Oh, rare, if all this is be not a dream. Hereat, she was glad, and springing to her feet, seized my hand and carried me through an arched doorway to a haman bath, a fair hall, and richly decorated. I doffed my clothes, and she doffed hers. Then we bathed, and she washed me. And with this was done, we left the bath, and she seated me by her side upon a high divan, and brought me a sherbet scented with musk. When we felt cool after the bath, she set food before me, and we ate and fell to talking. But presently she said to me, Lay thee down and take thy rest, 
for surely thou must be weary. So I thanked her, my lady, and lay down and slept soundly, forgetting all that had happened to me. But when I awoke, I found her rubbing and shampooing my feet. So I again thanked her and blessed her, and we sat for a while talking. Said she, By Allah, I was sad at heart, for that I have dwelt alone underground for these five and twenty years. And praise be to Allah, who hath sent me someone with whom I can converse. Then she asked, O youth, what sayest thou to wine? And I answered, Do as thou wilt. Whereupon she went to a cupboard, and took out a sealed flask of right old wine, and set off the table with flowers and scented herbs, and began to sing these lines. Had we known of thy coming, we had feigned to spread. The course of our hearts and the mouths of our eyes, our cheeks are as a carpet to greet thee had thrown, and our eyelids had strewn for thy feet to be cleared. Now, when she finished her verse, I thanked her, for indeed love of her had gotten hold of my heart, and my grief and anguish were gone. We sat at converse, and carousel till nightfall, and with her I spent the night. Such night never spent I in all my life. On the morrow, delight followed delight till midday, by which time I had drunken wine so freely that I lost my wits and stood up, staggering to the right and to the left, and said, Come, O charmer, and I will carry thee up from this underground vault and deliver thee from the spell of thy genie. She laughed and replied, Content thee and hold thy peace. Of every ten days, one is for the Ifrit, and the other nine are thine. Quoth I, and in good sooth drink, had gotten the better of me. This very instant I will break down the alcove where on this graven the talisman and summon the Ifrit, that I may slay him, for it is a practice of mine to slay Ifrit. When she heard my words, her color waxed one, and she said, By Allah, do not! And she began repeating, This is a thing wherein destruction lies. I read thee shun as any wit be wise. And these also, O thou who seekest severance, draw thy rein of thy swift steed, nor seek o'er much to advance. Ah, stay, for treachery is the rule of life, and sweets of meeting end in severance. I heard her verse, but paid no heed to her words. Nay, I raised my foot and administered to the alcove a mighty kick. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased saying her permitted say. When it was the thirteenth night, she continued, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the second calendar thus continued its tale to the lady. But when, O mistress, I kicked that alcove with a mighty kick, behold, the air starkened and darkened and thundered and lightened, the earth trembled and quaked, and the world became invisible. At once the fumes of wine left my head. I cried to her, what is the matter? And she replied, The Ifrit is upon us. Did I not warn thee of this? By Allah, thou hast brought ruin upon me. But fly, for thou life and go up by the way thou camest down. So I fled the staircase, but in the excess of my fear, I forgot sandals and hatchet. And when I had mounted the two steps, I turned to look for them, and lo, I saw the earth cleave asunder, and there arose from it an ifrit, a monster of hideousness, who said to the damsel, What shall an impostor be, this wherewith thou disturbest me? What mishap hath betided thee? She answered, No mishap hath befallen me. Save that my breast was straitened, and my heart heavy with sadness, so I drank a little wine to broaden it, and to hearten myself. Then I rose to obey a call of nature, but the wine had gotten into my head, and I fell against the alcove. Thou liest like the whore thou art! Shrieked the Ifrit, and he looked around the hall right and left till he caught sight of my axe and sandals, and I said to her, what be these but the belongs of some mortal who hath been in thy society? I never set my eyes upon them till this moment. 
They must have been brought by thee hither cleaving to thy garments. These words are absurd! Thou harlot! Thou serpent! Then he stripped her stark naked and stretched her upon the floor, bound her hands and feet to four stakes like one crucified and set upon torturing and trying to make her confess. I could not bear to stand this listening to her cries and moans. So I climbed the stair on the, the quake with fear, and when I reached the top, I replaced the trap door and covered it with earth. Then repented I of what I had done with penitence exceeding, and thought of the lady and her beauty and loveliness, and the torture she was suffering at the hands of the accursed Ifrit after her quiet life of five and twenty years, and how all that had happened to her was for the cause of me. I bethought of me, of my father and his kingly estate, and how I had become a woodcutter, and how after my time had been a wire serene, and the world had again waxed turbid and troubled to me. So I wept bitterly and repeated this couplet. What time, fate's tyranny, shall most oppress thee? Papend, one day shall join thee, one distress thee. Then I walked till I reached the home of my friend, the tailor, whom I found most anxiously expecting me. Indeed he was, as the saying goes, on coals of fire for my account, and when he saw me he said, All night long my heart has been heavy, fearing for thee from wild beasts or other mischances. Now praise be to Allah for thy safety. I thanked him for his friendly solicitude, and retiring to my corner sat pondering and musing on what had befallen me. And I blamed and chided myself for my meddlesome folly and my forwardness in kicking the alcove. And I was calling myself to account when, behold, my friend, the tailor, came to me and said, O youth, in the shop there is an old man, a Persian, who seeketh thee. He hath thy hatchet in thy sandals, which he had taken to the woodcutters. I was going out at what time the muazzin began the call to dawn prayer. But when I chance upon these things, and know not what they are, so direct me to thy owner. The woodcutters recognized thy hatchet, and directed him to thee. He is sitting in my shop, so fare forth to him and thank him, and take thine axe and sandals. When I heard these words, I turned yellow with fear, and felt stunned as by a blow. And before I could recover myself, lo, the floor of my private room clove asunder, and out of it rose the Persian who was the Ifrit. He had tortured the lady with exceeding tortures. Nevertheless, she would not confess to him aught, so he took the hatchet and sandals and said to her, As surely as I am Jesus, of the seed of Elias, I will bring thee back the owner of this and these. Then he went to the woodcutters with the presence of aforesaid, and being directed to me, after waiting a while in the shop till the fact was confirmed, he suddenly snatched me up as a hawk snatched the mouse, and dew high in the air, but presently descended and plunged with me under the earth, I being a swoon the while. And lastly he sat down in the subterranean palace, wherein I had passed that blissful night. And there I saw the lady stripped to the skin, her limbs bound to four sticks, and blood welling from her sides. The sight my eyes ran over with tears. But the Ifrit covered her person and said, O Wandard, is not this man thy lover? She looked upon me and replied, I never set my eyes upon him till this moment, quoth the Ifrit. What? What? This torture and yet no confessing? I never saw this man in my born days, and it is not lawful in all his sight to tell lies on him. If thou know him, not take this sword and strike off his head. She hint the sword in hand and came close up to me, and I signaled to her with my eyebrows, my tears the while flowing down my cheeks. She understood me and made answer also by signs. And I rejoined after the same fashion. This is the time for mercy and forgiveness. 
and the mute tongue of my case spake aloud, saying, Mine eyes were dragons, for my tongue bent, and told full clear the love I fain would hide. When last we met in tears and torrents railed, for the tongue struck dumb, my glances testified. She signed the eye glance with her lips were mute. I signed with fingers, and she penned thy replied. Our eyebrows did all duty, twixt us twain. And we, being speechless, love spake loud and plain. Then, O oh mistress, the lady threw away the sword and said, How shall I strike the neck of one I wot not, and who hath done me no evil? Such deed were not lawful in my law. And she held her hand, said the Ifrit, Tis grievous to thee to slay thy lover, and because he hath lain with thee, Thou endurest these torments and obstinacy, refusest to confess. After this it is clear to me that only life loveth and pity like. Then he turned to me and asked me, O oh man, happily thou also cost not know this woman? And pray, who may she be? Assuredly, I never saw her till this instant. Then take the sword and strike off her head, and I believe that thou wantest her not, and will leave thee free to go, and will not deal hardly with thee. That will I do. And taking the sword, went forward sharply, and raised my hand to smite, but she signed to me with her eyebrows. Have I failed thee in aught of love? And is it thus thou not requirest of me? I understood what her looks implied, and answered her with an eye glance. I will sacrifice my soul for thee. And the tongue of the case wrote in our hearts these lines. How many a lover with his eyebrows speaketh, to his beloved as his passion pleadeth. With flashing eyes his passion he inspireth, and well she seeth what kids pleadeth needeth. How sweet they look when each on other gazeth, and with what swiftness and how sure it speedeth, and with what swiftness and how sure it speedeth, and this with eyebrows all his passion writeth, and that with eyeballs all his passion readeth. Then my eyes filled with tears to overflowing, and I cast the sword from my hand, saying, Almighty Ifrit and hero, if a woman lacking wits and faith Deem it unlawful to strike off my head. How can it be lawful for me, a man, to smite her neck whom I never saw in my whole life? I cannot do such misdeed, though thou cause me drink the cup of death and perdition. Ye twain shall the good understanding between you, but I will let you see how such doings end. He took the sword and struck off the lady's hands first with four strokes, and then her feet. But I looked on and made her sure of death, and she farewelled me with her dying eyes. So the Ifrit cried at her, The horse then makest me a willow with shining eyes! And struck her so that her head went flying. Then he turned to me and said, O mortal, we have it in our law. That, that when the, the wife committeth adultery, it is lawful for us to slay her. As for this damsel, I snatched her away of her bride night when she was a young maiden, and she knew no one but myself. I used to come to her once every ten days, and lie with her the night, under the semblance of a man, a Persian. And when I was well assured that she concolded me, I slew her! But as for thee, I am not well satisfied that thou hast wronged me her. Nevertheless, I must not let thee go unharmed, so ask a boon of me. Then I rejoiced, O oh, my lady, with exceeding joy, and said, What boon shall I crave of thee? Ask me this boon, into what shape I shall bewitch thee. Wilt thou be a dog, or an ass, or an ape? I rejoined, and indeed I had hoped that mercy might be shown me. By Allah, spare me, that Allah spare thee for sparing a Muslim and a man who never wronged thee. 
And I humbled myself before him with exceeding humility and remained standing in his presence, saying, I am sore, oppressed by a circumstance. Talk, Talk me, Luna, Talk. It is in my power to slay thee, but I give thee instead thy choice. O thou Ifrit, it would beset thee to pardon me, even as the envied pardon the envier. And how is that? And I began to tell him the tale of the envier and the envied. They relate, O Ifrit, that in a certain city were two men who dwelt in adjoining houses, having a common party wall. And one of them envied the other, and looked on him with an evil eye, and did his utmost endeavor to injure him. And, in Albate, at all times he was jealous of his neighbor. His malice at last grew on him till he could hardly eat or enjoy the sweet pleasures of sleep. But the envy did nothing save prosper, and the more the other strove to injure him, the more he got and gained and throve. At last the malice of the neighbor and the man's constant endeavor to work him a harm came to his knowledge. So he said, By Allah, God's earth is wide enough for its people. And leaving the neighborhood, he repaired to another city where he bought himself a piece of land in which was a dried up drawer, old and in ruinous condition. Here, he built him an oratory, and furnishing it with a few necessaries, took up his abode therein, and devoted himself to prayer and worshipping Allah Almighty, and fakirs and holy mendicants docked to him from all quarters, and his fame went abroad through the city and that countryside. Presently, the news reached his envious neighbor of what good fortune had befallen him and how the city notables had become his disciples. So he traveled to the place and presented himself at the holy man's hermitage and was met by the envied with welcome and greeting and all honor. Then quoth the envier, I have a word to say to thee, and this is the cause of my faring hither, and I wish to give thee a piece of good news. So come with me to thy cell. Thereupon the envier rose and took the envier by the hand, and they went into the utmost part of the hermitage. But the envier said, Bid thy fakirs retire to their cells, for I will not tell thee what I have to say, save in secret where none may hear us. Accordingly, the envied said to his fakirs, Retire to your private cells. And when all had done all as he bade them, he set out with his visitor and walked a little way until the twain reached an ruinous old well. And as they stood upon the brink of the envier, gave the envied a push which tumbled him headlong into it, unseen of any. Whereupon he fared forth and went his ways, thinking to have had slain him. Now this well happened to be a haunted by the genre, who, seeing the case, bore him up and let him down little by little, till he reached the bottom. When they seated him upon a large stone, then... One of them asked his fellows, What ye who be this man? And they answered, Nay, 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 continued the speaker. This man is the envied eyes who, flying from the envier, came to dwell in our city, and here founded this holy house. And he hath edited us by his litanies and his lections of the Quran. But the envier set out a journey till he rejoined, and cunningly contrived to deceive him and cast him into the well where we are now. But the fame of this good man hath the very night come to the sultan of our city, who designeth to visit him on the morrow on account of his daughter. But the fame of the good man hath this very night come to the sultan of our city, designing to visit him on the morrow on account of his daughter. What ailed his daughter? Asked one and another answer. She is possessed of a spirit, for Mayamun, the son of Damdam, is badly in love with her. But if this pious man knew the remedy, her cure would be as easy as could be. 
Hereupon, one of them inquired, And what is the medicine? The black tomcat which is with him is the oratory half. On the end of his tail, a white spout the size of a dial. Let him pluck seven white hairs from the spot. Then let him fumigate her therewith, and the merit will flee from her and not return. So she shall be sane for the rest of her life. All this took place, O Ifrit, within earshots of the envied who listened readily. When dawn broke and morn arose and sheen and shone, the fakirs went to seek the sheikh and found him climbing up the wall of the well, whereby he was magnified with their eyes. Then, knowing that not, save the black tomcat could supply him with the remedy required, he plucked the seven tail hairs from the white spot and laid them by him, and hardly had the sun risen ere the sultan entered the hermitage with the great lords of his estate, bidding the rest of his retinue to remain standing outside. The envied gave him a hearty welcome, and seated him by his side, asked him, Shall I tell thee the cause of thy coming? The king answered, Yes. He continued, Thou hast come upon a pretext of a visitation, but it is in thy heart to question me of thy daughter replied the king. Tis even so, O thou holy sheikh! And the envied continued. Send and fetch her, and I trust to heal her forthright, and such it be, the will of Allah. The king, in great joy, sent for his daughter, and they brought her pinioned and fettered. The envied made her sit down behind a curtain, and taking up the hair, fumigated here therewith, whereupon that which was in her head cried out, and departed from her. The girl was at once restored to her right mind, and veiling her face, said, What hath happened, and who brought me hither? The sultan rejoiced with a joy that nothing could exceed, and kissed his daughter's eyes and the holy man's hand. Then, turning to his great lords, he asked, How say ye? What fee deserveth he who hath made my daughter whole? And all answered, He deserveth her to wife. And the king said, Ye speak sooth. So he married him to her, and the envy thus became son-in-law to the king. And after a little, the vizier died, and the king said, Whom can I make minister in his stead? Replied the courtiers, Thy son-in-law. So the envy became the vizier, and after a while the sultan also died. And the lieges said, Who shall we make king? And all cried, The wazir! So the vizier was forthright made sultan, and he became king, regnant, a true ruler of men. One day he had mounted his horse, and in the eminence of his kinglyhood was riding amidst the emirs and the viziers and the grandees of his realm. His eye fell upon his old neighbor, the envier, who stood afoot on his path. So he turned to one of his ministers and said, Bring hither that man, and cause him no affright. The vizier brought him, and the king said, Give him a thousand miscals of gold from the treasury, and load him ten camels with goods for trade, and send him under escort to his own town. Then he bade his enemy farewell, and sent him away, and forbore to punish him for the many and great evils he had done. See, O Ifrit, the mercy of the envy to the envier, who had hated him from the beginning, and had borne him such bitter malice, and never met him without causing him trouble, and had driven him from house to home, and then had journeyed for the sole purpose of taking his life by throwing him into the well. Yet he did not requite his injurious dealing, but forgave him, and was bountiful to him. Then I wept before him, O my lady, with sore weeping. Never was there sore, and I cited. Pardon my fault, for tis the wise man's want. All faults to pardon and revenge forego. In soothe our manner, faults in me contain. Then deign of goodness, mercy, grace to show. Whoso imploreth pardon from on high, should hold his hand from sinners here below. Said the Ifrit, Lengthen not thy words. As to my slaying thee, fear it not. And as to my pardoning thee, hope it not. But from my bewitching thee, there is no escape. 
Then he tore me from the ground, which closed under my feet, and hew with me into the firmament, till I saw the earth as a large white cloud or saucer in the midst of the waters. Presently he set me down on a mountain, and taking a little dust, over which he muttered some magical words, Sprinkled me, and therewith, saying, Quit that shake, and take thou the shake of an ape! And on the instant, I became an ape, a tailless baboon, the son of the century. Now, when he had left me, and I saw myself in this ugly and hateful shape, I wept for myself, but resigned to my soul, to the tyranny of time and circumstance, well waiting that fortune is fair and constant to no man. I descended the mountain and found at the foot a desert plain, long and broad, over which I traveled for the space of a month, till I my course brought me to the brink of a briny sea. After standing there a while, I was aware of the ship in the offing which ran before the fair wind making for the shore. I hid myself behind a rock on the beach and waited till the ship drew near. When I leaped on board, I found her full of merchants and passengers, and one of them cried, Oh, Captain, this illumined brute will bring us ill luck. And another said, Turn this illumined beast out from among us. The captain said, Let us kill it. And another said, Slay it with the sword. And a third, Drown it. And a fourth, shoot it with an arrow. But I sprang up and laid hold of my rice's skirt and shed tears which poured down my chops. The captain took pity on me and said, Oh, merchants, this ape hath appealed to me for protection, and I will protect him. Henceforth he is under my charge. So let none do him aught hurt or harm, otherwise there will be bad blood between. Then he entreated me kindly, and whatsoever he said I understood and ministered to his every want and served him as a servant, albeit my tongue would not obey my wishes, so that he came to love me. The vessel sailed on, the wind being fair for the space of fifty days, and at the end of which we cast anchor, under the walls of a great city wherein was a world of people. Especially learned men. None could tell their numbers save Allah. No sooner had we arrived that we were visited by certain Mamluk officials from the king of that city, who, after boarding us, greeted the merchants and giving them joy of safe arrival, said, Our king welcometh you and sendeth you this roll of paper, whereupon each and every one of you must write a line, for ye shall know that the king's minister, a calligrapher of renown, is dead. The king hath sworn a solemn oath that he will make none vizier in his stead who cannot write as well as he could. He then gave us the scroll which measured ten cubits long by a breadth of one. Each of the merchants who knew how to write wrote a line thereon, even to the last one, after which I stood up, still in the shape of an ape, and snatched the roll out of their hands. They feared lest I should tear it or throw it overboard, so they tried to stay me and scare me. But I signed to them that I could write, whereat all marveled and saying, We never yet saw an ape write. And the captain cried, Let him write! And if he scribble and scrabble, we will kick him out and kill him. But if he write fair and scholarly, I will adopt him as my son. For surely I have never saw a more intelligent and well-mannered monkey than he. Would heaven my real son were his match in morals and manners. I took the reed and stretching out my paw, dipped it in ink and wrote in the hand used for the letters these two couplets. Time hath recorded if she gave the grant, but none recorded shine which be far higher. Allah ne'er orphan men by loss of thee, who be of goodness mother, bounty sire. And I wrote in Rahani of larger letters, elegantly curved. Thou hast read of red to every land, whose thriving causeth all the world to thrive. Nil is the Nile of Misraim by thy boons, who maketh misery smile with fingers five. Then I wrote in the Sewer's character. There be no writer who from death shall feed, 
but what his hand hath writ men shall repeat. Write therefore not save what shall serve thee when thou seize on judgment day, and so thou seize. Then I wrote in the character of Nask, When to sore part in fate our love shall do, to distant life by destiny decree. We cause the inkhorn's lips to plain our pains, and tongue our utterance with the talking green. And I wrote in the tomorrow Kingdom with none endures, if thou deny. This truth will be the kings of earlier earth. Set trees of goodliness while rule endures, and when thou art fallen they shall tell thy words. And I wrote in the character of Muhak. When open the inkhorn of thy wealth and fame, take ink of generous heart and gracious hand. Write brave and noble deeds while right thou can, and win thee praise from point of pen and brand. Then I gave the scroll to the officials, and after we all had written our letter, they carried it before the king. When he saw the paper, no writing pleased him save my writing. He said to the assembled courtiers, Go seek the writer of these lines and dress him in a splendid robe of honor. Then mount him on the shimole. A band of music precede him and bring him to the presence. At these words, they smiled, and the king was wroth with them and cried, Oh, accursed, I give you up order, and you laugh at me. And replied they, O oh, king, if we laugh, tis not at thee, and not with other partners. And who is it? Asked he, and they answered, O king, thou orderest us to bring to thy presence the man who wrote these lines. Now, the truth is, is that he who wrote them is not of the sons of Adam, but an ape, a tailless baboon belonging to the ship captain. Quoth he, Is this true that you say? Quoth they, Yeah, by the rights of Adam, the king marveled at their words and shook with mirth and said, I am minded to buy this ape of the captain. Then he sent messengers to the ship with the mule, the dress, and the guard, and the state drums, saying, Not the less do you cloth him in the robe of honor, and mount him on the mule, and let him be surrounded by the guards, and preceded by the hand of music. They came to the ship and took me from the captain, and robed me in the robe of honor, and mounting me on the she-mule, carried me in state procession through the streets, whilst the people were amazed and amused, and folk said to one another, Hello! Is our sultan about to make an ape his minister? And came all agog, crowding the gaze at me, and the town was astir, and turned topsy-turvy on my account. When they brought me to the king, and set me in his presence, and kissed the ground before him three times, and once before the high chamberlain, great officers, he bade me sit, and I sat respectfully on shins and knees, and all who were present marveled at my fine manners, and the king most of all. Thereupon he ordered the lieges to retire, and when none remained save the king's majesty, the eunuch on duty, and the little white slave, he bade them set before the table of food containing all manner of birds, whatever hoppeth and flieth and treadeth and nest such as quail and sand grouse. Then he signed to me to eat with him. So I rose and kissed the ground before him, then sat down and ate with him. And when the table was removed, I washed my hands in seven waters, and took the reed case and reed, and wrote instead of speaking these couplets. Wail for the little partridges on porringer and plate. Cry for the ruin of fries and stews well married. Keen as I keen for love of lost daughters of an omelette round the fair and browned fowls of ground. O fair and fire with me for fish, those deux poissons I saw, bedded on new made scones and cakes in piles of land. For thee, O Vermicelli, aches my very maw, I hold without thee every taste and joy of cleaning. Those eggs have rolled their yellow eyes in torturing pains of fire, ere served with a hash, and fritters hot that delicatessen. Praise be Allah for its baked and roast, and ah, how good this pulse, these hot herbs stepped in oil with icer complete. When hunger sated once, I elbow prompt, fell back upon 
meet the hoodie wherein it leans, bangles at my wits mate. Then woke I sleeping appetite, to eat as though in sport, sweets from brosseted trays and kickshaws most elaborate. Be patient, soul of me, time is a haughty, jealous white. Today he seems dark alluring and tomorrow then I rose and seated myself at a respectful distance while the king read what I had written and marveled, exclaiming, Oh, the miracle! That an ape should be gifted with this graceful style and this power of penmanship! By Allah, tis a wonder of wonders! Presently, they set before the king choice wines and flagons of glass and drank. Then he passed on the cup to me. Kissed the ground and drank and wrote on it. We filed a boil me to loose my tongue, and pain and patience gave for fellowship. Things come in hands of men of bare and high, and honeydew from lips of maid I see. And these also. Morn saith tonight, withdraw and let me shine. So drain me draughts that dull all pain and pine. I doubt so fine glass, the wine so clear, it is the wine glass, or glass in wine. The king read my verse and said with a sigh, Were these gifts in a man, he would excel all the folk of his time and age. Then he called for the chessboard and said, Say, what about play with me? And I sighed with my head, Yes. Then I came forward and ordered the pieces played with him two games, both of which I won. He was speechless with surprise, so I took the pen and case, and, drawing forth a reed, wrote on the board these two couplets. Two hosts fair fight me through the live long day, nor is their battling ever finished, until when darkness girdeth them about, the twain of sleeping in a single bed. The king read these lines with wonder and delight, and said to this eunuch, O Mokmir, Go to thy mistress, sit and say to her, Come speak the king who biddeth thee to take thy solace in seeing this right wondrous ape. So the eunuch went out and presently returned with the lady who, when he saw me, veiled her face and said, Oh, my father, hast thou lost all sense of honor? How cometh thou art pleased to send for me and show me to strange men? Oh, sit no man is here. Say this little footpage, and the eunuch who reared thee, and I, thy father, from who then callst thou veil thy face? This whom thou deemest an ape is a young man, a clever and polite, a wise and learned, and the son of a king. But he is ensorcelled, and the Ifrit Jajaris, who is the seed of Iblis, cast a spell upon him after putting to death his own wife, the daughter of King Ephetimus. Lord of the islands of Abnus. The king marveled at his daughter's words, and turning to me said, Is this true that she saith of thee? And I signed by a nod of my head, and then answered, Yea, verily, and wept sore. Then he asked his daughter, Whence knowest thou that he is in so seld? Oh, my dear papa, there was one with me in my childhood, an old woman, a wily one and wise, and a witch to boot. And she taught me the theory of magic and its practice. And I took notes in writing and therein waxed perfect. A hundred and seventy chapters of egromantic formulas. By the least of which I could transport the stones of thy city behind the mountain calf and the circumambient main. Or make its sight an abyss of the sea and its people fishes swimming in the midst of it. Oh my daughter, I conjure thee by my life. Disenchant this young man that I may make him my vizier and marry thee to him, for indeed he is an ingenious youth and deeply learned. With joy and goodly grief. She replied, and hending an hand, an iron knife whereon was inscribed the name of Allah in Hebrew letters. She described a wide circle. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased saying her permitted say. When it was the fourteenth night, she said, it hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the calendar continued his tale thus. Oh, my lady, the king's daughter hint in hand a knife, whereon were inscribed Hebrew characters and described a wide circle in the midst of the palace hall, and therein wrote in Sufi 
mysterious names and talismans, and she uttered words and uttered charms, some of which we understood, and others we understood not. Presently, the world waxed dark before our sight till we thought that the sky was falling upon our heads, and lo, the Ifrit presented himself in his own shape and aspect. His hands were like many-pronged pitchforks, his legs like the masts of great ships, and his eyes like cressets of gleaming fire. We were in terrible fear of him, but the king's daughter cried at him. No welcome to thee, and no Whereupon he changed to the form of a lion and said, O traitress, how is it thou hast broken the oath we swear that neither shall contraire other? Answered she, How could there be a compact between me and the like of thee? Take what thou hast brought on thyself. And the lion opened his jaws and rushed upon her, but she was too quick for him, and plucking a hair from her head, waved it in the air, muttering it in the wild. And the hair straightway became a trenchant sword blade, wherewith she smote the lion and cut him in twain. <laughs> then the two halves flew away in the air, and the head changed into a scorpion, and the princess became a huge serpent and set upon the accursed scorpion. The two fought, coiling and uncoiling, a stiff fight for an hour at least. Then the scorpion changed to a vulture, and the serpent became an eagle which sat upon the vulture and hunted him for an hour's time till he became a black tomcat which mauled the grinned and spat. Thereupon the eagle changed into a piebald wolf and these two battled in the palace for a long time when the cat, seeing himself overcome, changed into a worm and crept into a huge red pomegranate lay beside the jetted fountain in the midst of the palace hall, whereupon the pomegranate swelled to the size of a watermelon in air, and failing upon the marble pavement of the palace, broke to pieces, all the grains fell out and were scattered about till they covered the whole floor. Then the wolf shook himself and became a snow white cock, which fell to picking up the grains of purpose not to leave one, but by doom of destiny, one seed rolled to the fountain edge and there laid hid. The cock fell to crowing and clapping his wings and sighing to us with his beak as if to ask. We understood not what he meant, and he cried to us with so loud a cry that we thought the palace would fall upon us. He ran over all the floor till he saw the grain which had rolled to the fountain edge and rushed eagerly to pick it up, when behold, it sprang into the midst of the water and became a fish and dived to the bottom of the basin. Thereupon the cock changed into a big fish and plunged into the water, and the two disappeared for a while, and lo, we heard loud shrieks, cries of pain, which made us this, rose out of the water. He was as a burning flame, casting fire and smoke from his mouth and eyes and nostrils. And immediately the princess likewise came forth from the base, and she was on one live core of flame below. And these two, she and he, battled for the space of an hour until their fires entirely compassed them about, and their thick smoke filled the palace. As for us, we panted for breath, being well nigh suffocated. Long to plunge into the water, fearing the lest we be burnt up and utterly destroyed. And the king said, There's no majesty, and there's no might save in thee, Allah the glorious, the great. Verily, we are all Allah's, and unto him are we returning. Would heaven I had not urged my daughter to attempt the disenchantment of this ape fellow, whereby I had imposed upon her the terrible task of fighting yon accursed Ifrit against whom all of the Ifrits in the world could not prevail. And would heaven we had not seen this ape, Allah never return a sin, nor bless the day of his coming. We thought to do a good deed by him before the face of Allah, and to raise him from enchantment, and now we have brought this trouble and travail upon her heart. But I, O oh my lady, was tongue-tied and powerless to say a word to him. Suddenly, ere we were 
aware of aught. Red yelled out from the top of waves, coming up to us as he stood from his trade. Blue fire in our faces. The damsel overtook him and breathed blast of fire. It his face and sparks from her, and from him rained down upon us. And her sparks did us no harm. But one of his sparks alighted on my eye, destroyed it, making me a monocular ape. And another fell on the king's face, scorching the lower half, burning off his beard and mustaches, and causing his underteeth to fall out. While a third alighted on the castrato's breast, <coughs> killing him on the spot, so he despaired of life and made sure of death. When lo, a voice repeated the saying. Allah is most higher. Allah is most higher. Aidance and victory to all who the truth believe, and disappointment and disgrace to all who the religion of Muhammad, the moon of faith, unbelieve. The speaker was the princess who had burnt the Ifrit, and he was become a heap of ashes. Then she came up to us and said, Reach me a cup of water. Brought it to her, and she spoke over it words we understood not, sprinkling me with a cry. By virtue of the truth, and by the most great name of Allah, I charge thee, return to thy former shape. And behold, I saw, I became a man as before, save that I had utterly lost an eye. Then she cried out, The fire, the fire! Dear Papa, an arrow from the accursed half wounded me to the death, for I am not used to fight with the John. Had he been a man I'd slain from the beginning, I had no trouble till the time when the pomegranate burst and the grain scattered. But I overlooked the seed wherein was the very life of the genie. Had I picked it up, he had died in spot. But as fate and fortune decreed, I saw that not. So he came upon me all unawares, and then befell between him and me a sore struggle under the earth, and high in the air, and in the water, and as often as I opened on him a gate. He opened on another gate with a straw, till at last he opened on me the gate of fire. You are saved upon whom the door of fire opened. But destiny willed that my cunning prevail ever his cunning, and I burn him to death after I vainly exhorted him to embrace the religion of Al-Islam. As for me, I am a dead woman. Allah supply my place to you. Then she called upon heaven for help and ceased not to implore relief from the fire. Well, lo... A black spark shot up from the rope feet to her thighs, and then it flew to her bosom and thence to her face. When it reached her face, she wept and said, I testify that there is no God but thee, God, and that Muhammad is the apostle of God. We looked at her and saw not the heap of ashes by the side of the heap that had been the Ifrit. We mourned for I wished I had been in her place, so I had not seen her lovely face who had worked me such weal become ashes. But there's no gainsaying the weal of Allah. When the king saw his daughter's terrible death, he plucked out what was left of his beard and beat his face and rent in the raiment, and I did as he did, but we both wept over her. Then in the chamberlains and grandees, and were amazed to find two heaps of ashes, and the sultan in a fainting fit. So they stood round him, till he revived and told them what had befallen his daughter from the Ifrit. Whereat their grief was right grievous, and the women and the slave girls shrieked at him, and they continued their lamentations for the space of seven days. Moreover, the king bade build over his daughter's ashes a vast vaulted tomb, and burn therein wax tapers and soprical lamps. But as for the Ifrit's ashes, they scattered them on the winds, speeding them to the curse of Allah. And the 
Sultan fell sick of a sickness that well nigh brought him to his death for a month's space. And when health returned to him and his beard grew again, he had been converted by the mercy of Allah to Al-Islam. He sent for me and said, Oh, you, faith had decreed for us the happiest of lives, safe from all the chances and changes of time, till thou camest to us, when trouble fell upon us. Would to heaven we had never seen thee, and thou foul face of thee, for we took pity on thee, and thereby we have lost our all. I have on thy account first lost my daughter, who to me was well worth a hundred men. Secondly, I have suffered that which befell me by reason of the fire, and the loss of my teeth, and my eunuch also was slain. I blame thee not, for it was out of thy power to prevent this. The doom of Allah was on thee as well as on us, and thanks to the Almighty, for that my daughter delivered thee, albeit thereby she lost her own life. Go forth now. O oh, my son, from this city, and suffice thee what had befallen us through thee, even though thou twice decreed for us, go forth in peace, and if I ever see thee again, I will surely slay thee. And he cried out at me, so I went forth from his presence, O oh, my lady, weeping bitterly and hardly believing in my escape, and knowing not whither I should wind. I recalled all that had befallen me, my meeting the tailor, my love for the damsel in the palace beneath the earth, my narrow escape from the Ifrit, even after he had determined to do me die, and how I had entered the city as an ape and was now leaving it as a man once more. Then I gave thanks to Allah and said, My eye and not my life. And before leaving the place I entered the bath and shaved my pall and beard and moustachios and eyebrows, and cast ashes on my head and donned the coarse black woolen robe of Kalandar. Then I fared forth, O oh, my lady, and every day I pondered all the calamities which I had betided me, and I wept and repeated these couplets. I am distraught, yet verily his truth abides with me, though round me gather hosts of ears Whence come I cannot see. Patient, I'll be till patient self with me impatient wax. Patient for ever till the Lord fulfill my destiny. Patient, I'll bide without complaint, a wronged and vanquished man. Patient as sun-patched white that spans the desert's sandy sea. Patient, I'll be till Allah's self unwittingly allow. I'm patient under bitterer things than bitterers allow. No bitterer things than allows or than patient for mankind, yet bitterer than the twain to me were patient's tertiary. My seer and seamed and seared brow would dragoman my sore, if soul could search my sprite in their unsecret secrecy. Were his to bear the load I bear, they'd crumble neath the weight, toward still the roaring wind, toward quench the flame tongue's fragrancy. And whoso saith the world is sweet, set as a day he'll see, with more than Allah's bitterness and Allah's pungency. Then I journeyed through many regions, and saw many a city intending for Baghdad, that I might seek audience, in the house of peace with the commander of the faithful, and tell him that all had befallen me. I arrived here this very night, and I found my brother in Allah, this first calendar, standing about as one perplexed. So I saluted him with, Peace be upon thee, and entered into discourse with him. Presently up came our brother, this third calendar, and said to us, Peace be with you, I am a stranger. Where to, we replied, and we, we too be, be strangers, strangers, who had come hither this blessed night. So we all three walked on together, none of us knowing the other's history. To destinies crave us to this door, and we came into you. Such then is my story and my reason for shaving my beard and moustachios, and this is what caused the loss of my eye. Said the housemistress, This tale is indeed a rare, so rub thy head and win thy ways. I will not budge until I hear my companion's stories. Then came forward the third calendar and said, O oh, illustrious lady, 
My history is not like that of these, my comrades, but more wondrous and far more marvellous. In their case, fate and fortune came down on them unawares, but I drew down destiny upon my own head and brought sorrow on mine own soul and shaved my own beard and lost my own eye. Here then. The Third Calendar's Tale 1001 Arabian Nights audio drama Quarter of Baghdad Part 3 The Second Calendar's Tale from Sir Richard Burton's timeless classic Arabian Nights Entertainment's features Zaid Patterson, Second Calendar S. Davis, Michael Mojica, Wild Arabs Justin Grant, Taylor Avery Smithart, Damsel Isaac Wells, Ifrit Marguerite, Sharzad Cameron Nikhad, Envier Faisal Yakub, Envy Richard Priest, Johns and King Ifrit of the Well Mitchell Lucas, Sultan Mora Inanarada, Sultan's Daughter Kai Scrozzi, Courtiers, Miguel Moran, Lieges, Faisal Yakub, Lee Turner, Miguel Moran, Kai Scrozzi, Jake Reed, Sailors, Jake Rees, Captain, Richard Priest, King, Kai Scrozzi, Mamluk Official and Eunuch, Danielle McRae, Princess Satin Al-Hassoun, Patrick Seymour, First Calendar, Warren Blackie, Third Calendar, and Natalie Von Sistine as Eldest Lady. Music featuring Tabuk, Kevin McLeod, Horror Ambience by Clan Cabelt, and Voidpad, DJ Kronos from Freesound. Org. Middle Eastern Ambience, Mysterious Indian Tribal Theme, Indian Horror Music, North Indian Delay, Jawari Temple of Baal, Angry Tribe Human Sacrifice Theme, Licensed by FootageFirm.com, Sound Effects from Freesound.org, Opening and Ending Credits Theme, Enter In, Steve Irwin, and Arabian Adventures by Music Bakery, Licensed by Audiosparks.com, Desert Gems Audio, Mixed and Produced by S. Davis, Copyright 2013, All Rights Reserved.